Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL. The New England Patriots. This is the Patriots Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Patriots Wire editor, Henry McKenna. Well, there it is, Henry. We've been waiting to finally shovel that last that last shovel full of dirt on the Patriots. We've been waiting for weeks, and it finally happens, right? They have missed the playoffs for just the third time since 2000. When you think about that, it's just unbelievable. It just that's where we're at. They're six and eight, guaranteed for their first non-winning season, and like I said, the last two decades. And I'm actually kind of worried now after watching that. Jets-Rams game, that debacle of a game. The freaking Rams. What are you doing letting the Jets win? That's unbelievable. I'm actually worried now that the Pats could lose to the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets to close the season. I would not be stunned if that happens at all. And if that does, man, the AFC East all of a sudden looks a lot different and, and the Patriots in that pecking order looks a lot different. But what do you think? Just, uh, you know, it's finally over, right? We can finally stop being like, oh, there's a percentage chance. Like, it's over. They missed the playoffs. This year is now officially a failure. And it kind of is what it is. What do you what do you think about all that? I think this year it's interesting finishing like seven and nine or six and ten. At this point, six and ten is more of a success than seven and nine because you don't you don't have a sense of what their plan is. There is no strong sense of who their quarterback is and how they are going to make that quarterback better. Belichick talks all the time about putting their players in situations where they can succeed. Well, Cam in a situation where he could succeed was throwing screen passes. And, like, that's it. That was their offense, their passing offense, and, and to Jacoby Myers. Sometimes off of the fake screen passes. We and, saw that and they weren't flat. good at the screens either, Henry, right? They weren't good at throwing them this year. Not in the second half of the season when everybody realized that that's all they could do. First half it was working, um, and then a switch sort of flipped. And all of a sudden, you know, opposing defenses jumped up, and they were like, we're just going to jam receivers, just crowd the box and crowd the bunches, if there are bunches of receivers, just in case of a bubble screen, and then see whether Cam Newton can throw over the top, and he couldn't, um, in part because nobody could really separate over the top. So I think this is a, a failure of a season because they didn't make any ground up in a rebuild, and they didn't get to the playoffs. That's sort of like, I mean, sadly, that's sort of how we think of teams these days. So you kind of have to be in one mode or the other. No doubt. And they didn't do well with either. So, yeah, it's a weird future. And I, I keep, I think we talked a little bit about this last week, but I think it's interesting because the Patriots are going to be in the exact same situation as they were last year, where Brady leaves. They don't know what will be next at quarterback. But this year will be different because at least last year, there was like this confidence among at least myself and most media and most fans, I'd say that Belichick was just going to manufacture a quarterback. Like, that's what he did with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what he did with Jacoby Brissett. That's what he did with Matt Castle. He just he just manufactures wins with non-Tom Brady quarterbacks. And he couldn't do that this year. So this is the first time that we've got reason to question his ability to make things happen without Tom Brady. Now, I'm not saying Belichick's not a good coach. This isn't one of Belichick's best seasons as a coach. You can kind of see how little talent they had in and the fact that they got six wins and maybe seven is impressive. But with this offseason coming, it's like, well, if Belichick can't just conjure a quarterback out of thin air like he tried to do with, with Cam Newton and Jared Siddham this offseason, 
then what? Like, is he going to have to shoot for, like, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan? Is he going to have to shoot for a, a really good quarterback in this year's first round? So it's, it's like, probably a little more anxiety-inducing this offseason to have less faith in Belichick and just all of the same levels of uncertainty. No, there's no doubt. And we've been talking all year. We've been throwing names out, right? Like, who's it going to be next year? Who's it going to be? And you've kind of quietly been saying, Henry, that – Cam Newton is probably the favorite to be the quarterback next year for a variety of reasons. And I want to get your take on this Instagram post that Cam put out there this week where he says, Dear Patriots Nation, I want to tell you that this year has been unacceptable. He goes on and on saying that, you know, the Patriots haven't lived up to the standards. But then I highlight one piece that makes me feel like he feels like he's going to be part of the solution going forward. He, He goes, with that being said, the answers are in the locker room. And one thing I do know about this bunch is that this locker room is filled with guys who want to be a part of the solution, including me. So when I saw that post on Instagram, I was like, yo, he's going to be back next year. Like Cam is planning to be here for the long haul. Maybe not like 10 years, but I don't think Cam thinks he's going anywhere else next year. And I'm starting to wonder if there's like a thing between him and Belichick that that's already been kind of decided. And that's why we haven't seen Jared Stidham. And that's why... You know, Bill Belichick continues to just go into his shell whenever anyone asks him about the quarterback thing. He is that post you guys put on the Patriots wire with the clip of Lou Merloni trying to continually ask that question to Belichick and him just responding with dead silence or just sniffles in the background or whatever it was. So it's like just comical and super awkward. But like this Instagram post makes me feel, Henry, like Cam thinks he's going to be back and maybe he's the favorite to be back. We can keep throwing out names like Matt Stafford and all this, but. I don't know how realistic that all is. Is it going to be Cam next year? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think it needs to be Cam Newton, or it's likely to be Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, and someone else. Yep. I hope that they can identify someone in the first round of this year's draft, and they take whatever pick they have somewhere between 15. And honestly, you know, I think they could lose to the Jets. Kind of hoping that they lose to the Jets because the game is inconsequential. Um, the Jets can, you know, as long as the Bengals, basically, as long, yeah, I mean, the Bengals are, they're, I think they're, they're not a two-win team or a three-win team, I forget, but they also have a tie. They got three wins so the and Jets a tie. Can, yep. Yeah, so the Jets can afford to win another game now, so I think the Jets could easily beat the Patriots. That would work for the Patriots, even though it would be, you know, the it would leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth, media, team, yes, players, it, coaches, yes, everybody. Yeah, it'd be painful. Um, but at the same time, it's what's best for the team because if, they, if they're if they a 6-10 and 10 team, all of a sudden they're picking like much closer to the top 10, and then they're much closer to Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, as the three top quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence. So... I mean, I just, I just think that they need to put a huge investment into the quarterback position this year, and the, and the smartest way to do that in today's NFL is not through financial investments, but rather uh, draft. And obviously, we've seen a bazillion draft busts uh, through the years, so it's not foolproof, but. That just seems like a good way to for them to fit around Cam Newton, fit around Jared Stidham, really, really kind of push Jared Stidham away and onward. But that seems like the most logical solution for them this year. So Belichick spoke uh, recently about his goals for the final two games of the season. He basically said nothing changes. Yeah, we're out of the playoffs, but 
nothing changes. We're still trying to do what we always do. But he's not really telling the full truth because if you look at the young players that he's putting on the field, uh, especially first-year players, it is kind of staggering, especially against the Dolphins. So I wanted to kind of go through some of the players that we saw out there against the Dolphins and how we feel about them going forward because these are going to be kind of the uh, part of the building blocks of where we're at in trying to rebuild this team. So let's jump into that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Welcome to week 16 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays in the championship round for most leagues. Derek Carr left last week with a groin injury that was deemed a one-to-two-week situation, but he's been splitting first-team reps with Marcus Mariota. For all of the on-paper upgrades Miami made in the offseason, it has struggled to contain competent quarterbacks, especially dual threats. Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Patrick Mahomes. All of them trounced this group, and even rookie quarterback Justin Herbert found success. Mariota is the better recommendation in the event he starts, just because we don't know what to expect from Carr's injury. But the matchup is right for either player. Sticking with the same matchup, but on the other side of the coin, running back Lynn Bowden of the Miami Dolphins takes on the team that drafted him in the Raiders. Bowden is a running back-receiver combo and can be flexed out into the slot. In fact, he does that more often than not. He's by far the most talented natural receiver out of this backfield, but keep in mind he offers nothing from the running game perspective, with just three carries in the last three games. Injury question marks with Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki leave this passing game a little thin, so it will be all hands on deck. The Raiders have given up five and a half receptions a game to running backs in 2020, and Bowden is poised to eclipse that mark. Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver Tyron Johnson versus the Denver Broncos. Injuries have slowed receivers Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and it opened the door for the explosive Johnson to see more action. His 12 targets in the last two games after only nine on the year entering week 14. There's a ton of risk here since he's a low volume, high yield type of player, but the Broncos have permitted 21 different efforts of at least 10 PPR points in 2020, and both Allen and Williams scored in the earlier meeting. Johnson is an intriguing flex flyer. Chicago Bears rookie tight end Cole Komet at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Understand by starting him, you're taking a tremendous amount of risk, and this is purely a flyer for a touchdown against a defense that has been atrocious at stopping tight ends in 2020. Only the Jets have allowed more touchdowns on the year to the position, and no team has given up scores at a higher frequency than once every 5.2 catches. But seven times the position has been held to 36 or fewer yards, which makes this the epitome of a gamble for a touchdown. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. So, Henry, let's kind of go through the list here of the young guys we saw on the field against the Dolphins. Some of them we've been seeing plenty, like uh, Michael Onwenu. He started a bunch of games now. He looks like he's a great value for Belichick. He drafted him in the sixth round. I think he started like eight or nine games already now, and he looks like he's going to be a piece going forward. So that's a good one. We saw another offensive lineman, another young offensive lineman in this game. Left tackle, Justin Herod. I don't know if he's a left tackle, but that's where they played him against the Dolphins, right? So he starts this game. He plays the whole game. I don't know if he played a great game by any means. He's still got a lot to prove. But what do you think about Herod out there? Yeah, I mean, I was impressed. Uh, He's played guard. He's played right tackle. He's played left tackle. I think Justin Herod has gotten, uh, excuse me, Michael Olenu has gotten all the praise sort of in the world and well-deserving, mm. so. 
Perrin is sort of fly, flown under the radar. He's been on and off IR. He has played multiple positions. He's been in platoons at multiple positions, both at left and right tackle. This was a good game. I mean, we didn't even really talk about him until he allowed the sack in the third quarter, I think it was. And then he actually had a tough series where he let up like three pressures in the whole, like over a series of a few plays. But aside from that, he was playing well. It actually made me think about the offseason when Joe Tooney and David Andrews are set to enter free agency. And I was like, Marcus Cannon's coming back to this roster. Isaiah Wynn will be healthy, hopefully, maybe next year. So then the Patriots should let Joe Tooney go. They should re-sign David Andrews. They should move Michael Alano to left guard where Tooney is. And then they have Justin Heron, who can play guard and tackle. They have Jermaine Illuminor, who can play guard and tackle. And then I'm doing a mock draft that's going to publish later this week, but I think they could draft a center or like a guard center higher this year because of Andrews just getting a little bit older and in the contract year, they like to draft a guy right. as leverage to be like, oh, we don't need you, but then they, then they actually it's do. classic, um, no doubt. Yeah. So I think I think that could remain one of the best offensive lines, one of the best units for the Patriots, one of the best offensive lines in the league, but then one of the best units for the Patriots. It needs to stay one of the best units, but I don't think they need Joe Tooney to do it because they hit so well in this year's draft. So as much as we've been ripping the Patriots for uh, their inability to get receivers and tight ends and to some degree running backs. I think that that offensive line has been a point of impressive talent identification. And now without Dante Scarnecchia, the person who everybody said was developing this talent, they're still doing it. They're still developing talent even without him. So Yeah, no doubt. I think the offensive line has been a bright spot. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of uh, this Justin Heron. So if people haven't noticed him, keep an eye out for him. I'm not worried about Kyle Duggar anymore. I think he looks like he's a good little pick, Henry, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on him. He's playing a lot. He's not playing every snap on defense, but he's getting a lot of run on special teams. He looks like he's going to be a staple uh, going forward, especially next season. So no beef with him, but I do want to talk about the tight ends, right? We saw both of them. Dalton Keene, I think, logged 29 snaps, and Asi Asi logged 27. I don't know if either of them did anything that I'm excited about. <laughs> they They both were kind of out there they don't look like they're great at anything. Uh, they look like they're just kind of just another guy out there. What do you think about the tight ends? Uh, you know, Keen obviously fumbled, so that wasn't great. And Asi Asi, you know, I think he looks a little bit better in the run block game, but you know, he didn't like he didn't look great out there running routes either. So, uh, what's your take on those two? Honestly, it's a mess. Like it is, I, right? I it's so bad. Hate, yeah, you're you're like trying to be nice. It's a mess. The, the fact that those two uh, tight ends have been on the field, i got to look at their snap counts, but in the amount of action that they've gotten, for them to turn up two, three receptions total on the season is really not great. And third-round picks, both of them, to a tight end group that was the worst in the NFL and lost their two tight ends that were the top of the unit. So... <laughs> I mean, that's, like, unfathomably bad. Like, they lost Ben Watson and Matt Lacoste, who are the two best tight ends. But, again, context, worst tight end groups in 2019. So they were really, really below replacement level. And then for them to come into that group 
with Ryan Izzo, the third string of the worst group, be suddenly the number one. For them to not be able to get past him on the depth chart, that's really unimpressive. And then for them to just incidentally get past him because he goes on IR. Exactly. And then to not make any contributions in the passing game that so badly needs contributions, that is a very bad sign for them developmentally. I'm not saying that they're busts. I'm not saying that their careers are dead. I'm just saying that it's their rookie year, and you can you can contribute as a rookie. You can make a difference even if you're held to a lower standard. And this was substandard by that lower standard. Uh, you know, you you have to worry if someone is struggling this much to get it. Period. Whether like really, what's their upside? If they can't, if Devin Asiasi can't catch a single pass in his rookie season. Like, what is he, (laughs) you know, like, think about multiplication. No matter how many times you multiply zero, you still get zero. Yeah, even even (laughs) that math I can do. Yeah, Yeah, I like that kind of math. That's my kind of math, Henry. I can even do that. So, uh, yeah, I I think this is an interesting conversation. I want to talk about the young linebackers we saw. We saw a couple of them playing plenty in this game against Miami. Let's pick that up on the other side. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of BetSlip and Podcast and SportsbookWire.com. It's week 16 of the NFL, and I'm joined again by Jeff Clark, my colleague. We're breaking down the Sunday night football game between the Tennessee Titans and Green Bay Packers. The Packers are three-and-a-half-point home favorites at Lambeau, minus 105 odds. The Titans on the road, plus three-and-a-half-point underdogs, minus 115 odds. Big game for both teams. Playoff implications all over the board here. Packers trying to hold on to the number one seed in the NFC. I'm on them to win by at least four points. Jeff, I think Matt LaFleur just gets his revenge against Tennessee Titans, even though things worked out pretty well for him. He can't be too angry at them. Yeah, I'm definitely swung the Matt LaFleur uh, revenge game. To me, it's a toss-up with the offenses. It's a bit of a toss-up with the defense. I'm willing to concede Green Bay is a little bit better on the defensive end or more reliable. Uh, But the game just means more to the Tennessee Titans. Um, They haven't locked up anything. Not the AFC South, not an AFC wild card, whereas Green Bay has the NFC North all tucked away and could be looking ahead to the playoffs or just wanting to rest up, not giving a full effort. Uh, Give me the three plus the hook with the Titans. So another name that we've been rooting for all year, Henry, I think, is Josh Josh Uche, right? Uh, He only gets 20 snaps against the Dolphins. He was kind of quiet out there. I think we saw him play on the edge. He also kind of plays inside as well. But Uche is a guy that I was hoping would be playing more than 20 snaps. I was was hoping he'd be a guy that would kind of flash by the end of the year. And then we also saw Anthony Jennings plenty in this game. Played about half the snaps, and he played a bunch on special teams. You know, I think he got more work because Bentley got hurt there in the first quarter and didn't come back. But what do you think about those two young linebackers, Jennings and Uche, and their chances of coming on maybe next year? Uche has been impressive with uh, developing pressures. I don't think he's really put up the numbers statistically that make you think he's playing well. But, yeah, he's actually being a pretty disruptive player in a pretty short uh, workload, and the reason why he didn't play much on Sunday against the Dolphins was that they were running the ball. He's a situational pass rusher, so when the Patriots realized that all the Dolphins were going to do was run, 
they pulled him off the field. As for Anthony Jennings, so I guess just to finish Rouge, I think he's on a, a pretty nice trajectory to be a good situational role player, like a really good one, because obviously pass rushing is a valuable uh, way to contribute as a role player. And the way that he needs to develop is as a, a sideline to sideline run defender, because he's got that quickness and he's got athleticism that really applies well to pass rush. But the way that the Patriots ask linebackers to develop is to be everything, to do everything, cover and defend the run. If he can take that step, uh, I think that would be huge for the Patriots, for him to be a three-down linebacker. Uh, It's something that Chase Winovich is trying to do right now, trying to develop run defending skills, setting the edge, and working more as a stack linebacker. And he's had mixed success this year. So I imagine Luce next year will have a similar uh, de- de- developmental track. And then for Anthony Jennings, he is I – am, I am not as high on him. He looks slow, honestly, and that's a little troubling because you, you can't really change speed. Yeah, The Patriots linebackers all look slow on the inside. So Jawan Bentley, Therese Hall – and Anthony Jennings, those guys just—I don't know—they nobody really popped, and as a result, the, the Dolphins popped off for what 250 yards on 42 carries, three rushing touchdowns. It was a very big day for them, and that was partially the fault of Anthony Jennings. Now, again, get back to the linebackers, it's, excuse me, the, the tight ends, or it's like you know, at least he's he's on the field and he's contributing with with some tackles. But there's definitely like warding signs happening with a few of these rookies where, you know, they're not really getting it to the degree that you want. So I'm not saying this class is like looks bad, but they don't look great yet. Uche looks real Uche looks really good and and Duggar looks really good. And then the rest you're kind of like wondering like, really? That's that's what <laughs> that's what they've got. Yeah, and it, and it's troubling when you're six and eight and you're already out of the playoffs. You want to get excited about a Monday night home game against Buffalo, but you're a touchdown underdog in this game, and, and you're out of it. And Buffalo is one of the best teams in football. So that's where we're at. And, Henry, I want to leave you with this. I know you love J.C. Jackson. I know that's your guy, and you did not make the Pro Bowl. This is the week where everyone bitches about the Pro Bowl snubs, and the Patriots definitely have one. I know some, uh, some actual players have come out on social media and, and spoken out in J.C. Jackson's defense. Everyone's very upset that he didn't make the Pro Bowl. I know you've got to be heartbroken that J.C. Jackson won't be playing in the Madden Pro Bowl this year. I, I like, want to make a case for him, but <laughs> I actually don't think it was that big of a snub. Uh, come on, man. Eight interceptions. I know, but he does it against number two uh, receivers. So, I mean, look at look at the guys that made it. Xavier Howard, he has, he has nine interceptions. Tredavious White, Marlon Humphrey, and Stephon Gilmore, right? So, Stefan obviously is head of... Well, that's the one. The that's, that's, that's the question. Is it Gilmore or is it Jackson? Who had the better year? Uh, it's got to be Gilmore. I mean, he, he had a tough year in terms of holding him to the standard of the defensive player of the year. But when you hold him to the standard of every other cornerback in the NFL, it was, it was a really nice year. You know, injuries had him miss now the end of the season and some other games. But he played very well. And... Takeaways are huge. I mean, J.C. Jackson kept the Patriots in a bunch of games with takeaways. But would he be getting those takeaways if he was covering the number one receiver instead of the number two receiver? I don't know. And I think we've seen him go against number one receivers when Gilmore gets hurt, and he lets them have pretty productive days. So he's the best number two quarterback in the NFL 
will someday probably be, you know, a Malcolm Butler type CB1, but he's not there quite yet. And so, like, you know, the one guy I might push for, for J.C. Jackson is Marlon Humphrey. But even Humphrey has, like, a, hand, a handful of forced fumbles this year. Like, he, he managed takeaways of his own. And, again, he's the number one corner. So, I really like J.C. Jackson. I think he's a great player. Don't know if he's the Pro Bowler this year. Oh, that's not what I was expecting out of you, Henry. No, I, you know me. I, I know. You know Gilmore's in my doghouse. That's where I was going with this whole top. Uh, J.C. Jackson should have made it over Gilmore. But I understand you're so you're too smart for this question, Henry. You're going to be all analytical about it. And you're going to be all smart about it, and you're not going to be you're not just going to look at it black and white like me and be like, I think Gilmore was sitting out games that he didn't really need to sit out, and for that he doesn't get to play in the video game Pro Bowl. No way. It's J.C. Jackson. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it's an unreasonable week for me. The Jets won, and the Patriots are got, got knocked out of the playoffs. So, like, what what do I have to look forward to in life? I guess Christmas, right? I guess that's what I can look forward to. So, we'll see what happens. Henry, enjoy the weekend of football. Have a great holiday weekend, and I'll talk to you next week, my man. Enjoy the holiday, Ryan. Enjoy the holiday to all of our listeners, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.